Hey guys, this is Angel Donovan with Dating Skills Podcast, and today's show is focused on biology. No, this is not a health and fitness podcast. We're talking about hard, very useful dating sex and relationships advice, and something that I've been more and more interested in over the last year, a bit longer, but really focused on our coaching programs and so on, looking at is how biology is holding back men in their dating lives. So this is a subject, a topic that is not well covered. I find it's it's really at detriment and it's and it's really something that's holding back this kind of segment of guys who struggle and they read a lot of advice, they listen to a lot of advice, but it doesn't seem to help. And why is that? Because if you have symptoms of anxiety, of lack of self-control, of lack of motivation, of lack of willpower, of lack of concentration and focus and mood stability. These are all things that get in the way of your dating, sex, and relationships. You could see how these would affect your ability to just execute on advice, but also to be stable in relationships and strong in relationships. Another area I've seen often recently is adrenal fatigue, undermining your energy or motivation of your life fixed. Addressing biochemical imbalances or addressing these chronic health issues, which have become relatively commonplace in our modern day stressed environment, really, really help you to make this whole journey much quicker and faster. And today's guest has been looking at this subject more and more over the last 20 years, although he is very well known for pure relationship advice. Today's guest is John Gray, PhD. The psychologist. I'm assuming that pretty much anyone listening to this has heard of John's work. He has the number one relationship bestseller of all time, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, which was published many, many years ago. And this and his other 17 books have sold over 50 million copies in 50 different languages. That's just astounding. What most people don't know is that As the years have gone on, John has focused more and more on these biological aspects, right? From hormones to other areas to like brain biochemistry. And this is really the subject of our discussion today. His most recent book is Staying Focused in a Hyper World. And he has really found this to be one of the big levers to improving relationship quality. And in his own relationships, he's noticed how a lot of the difficulties, a lot of the things we struggle with simply melt away once you've got some solid biochemistry that allows you to deal with relationship issues so much more easily with less frustration. So a quick story here. In the 90s, one of my girlfriends bought this book, Mars and Venus, and tried to get me to read it. That didn't work. I really wasn't receptive to new information at the time. It was long before my journey actually started with all of this. And I had this preconception of Mars and Venus, the Mars and Venus title through me. So it took me a long time to get around to reading John Gray's books, even though I've been in this for a while. And that's a real shame as they are very well researched and there's a lot of great insights to be taken from them. So if you have preconceived notions like I did, which I think a number of guys do, especially uh, guys in the pickup artist community and areas like that, of his books not being relevant to you, please withhold them and listen to this interview. I think you'll find that his work is not at all what you imagined. And there's a lot of insights and gold that you'll get from this interview and his work in general. It's a real pleasure to have John with us on this interview. 
As usual, to get the show notes where we have the links to everything we talk about in the show and the highlights of the interview, you can go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter, pop your email in there and you'll get them in your email inbox every time a show comes out. Or you can just go straight to the site at datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast every time we put an episode out like this and you can grab them all on that page. There's a transcript there. Also, if you prefer to skim read the episode for the good stuff that you haven't seen before. Now let's jump into this interview with John Gray, PhD. I'm Angel Donovan, and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships, to become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step by step, episode by episode. John, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Now, you've had such a long career. You've had the longest career I've ever known in this area. We've spoken to a lot of people and there was a few differences. Have you been doing so 35 or 40 years or how many exactly years? 35 years. Great. And so it's been the seminars and the books, but it's actually a lot of contact with just thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I don't know if, like how many people you know you've contacted in kind of seminars and, and like that kind of experience over time. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people. And it's hard to remember them all when they see me. <laughs> they think, I'm, I'm sure you can. Well, kind of. <laughs> you kind of fake it. Oh, yeah, I remember. Like that time I worked on you one-on-one in front of the audience or whatever. I do kind of fake it sometimes. <laughs> right, right. You have to. Yeah, they just can't get the perspective. Um, I'm sure it's a bit like Tony Robbins kind of thing. He comes into the same number of people, contact and stuff. So I can appreciate that because I've been to his seminars. So, I mean, we love to have people on the show with a lot of experience like you. Just having dealt with so many people, you're obviously like, so it's just a wealth of experience. The other thing I found really interesting was that you've just studied so many things. Like some of the things I've picked up, I'm sure I haven't found them all, but there's things like Tantra, TM, Transcendental Meditation, Psychology, Hormones, Brain Chemistry. Could you give us a, per, like a perspective of the different angles you've taken over time and I don't know where you've got to today in, in terms of which perspectives you find are most useful? Well, 35 years I've been teaching relationship issues. 10 years before that, I was the personal assistant to Maharishi Mahesh Yogi of TM. And, you know, as a relationship expert, I was a monk. I was a celibate monk. I was totally into it. I guess that's what's unique about me. When I do something, I get totally into it. And I'm an extremist, but now I'm an extremist in moderation. (laughs) So a little bit of everything. So people say, well, how did you get into relationships and sexuality? Because my first courses on relationship were about Tantra and enlightened sexuality. And how did I go from a monk to that? Well, if you haven't had sex in nine years, uh, (laughs) that becomes the biggest interest. So I- Your biggest obsession. That's right. It was an obsession. And I started teaching classes. I said, people, look, I've been interviewing women for the last year that I've had sex with on what makes them feel good. And- if you're a regular guy, women don't want you to do that because you're supposed to know. There's sort of this idea you're the guy you should know. But when I told them I'm a monk, I've been celibate, I need to learn, teach me. That's cute. Had a whole day. <laughs> so I learned a lot about sex in, in that year. Then I started teaching classes on it. And I would say, what we're going to do here is just basically talk about what makes sex great for you and what doesn't. And so I continued to learn. And then I went on from there to recognize that 
to keep the, the passion and sexuality alive, it's about love. It's keeping the loving connection. And not that I wasn't in love with the women I was with, but it was a lot. And then I, you start narrowing down and you see how true love grows and you focus on one person, you grow and then becomes family. And so I'm just teaching as I go along. But I think that of all the challenges that I've faced, but being a monk and being in the TM and having a form of meditation, and I think TM is a great form of meditation. There's lots of forms of meditation. Sure. You know, there's no one right way, but there is something called a practice that you do with some discipline and you put your heart into it and you be regular with it. What it did for me is it created a, before I got into heavy duty relationships and sexuality with women, I was able to find a center, a relaxation place inside me. I remember when I was reading uh, some scripture or something, there was this phrase that popped out and said, my mind has found its resting place. And I went, that's it, that's it. That's probably the greatest benefit of all these years of meditation and everything. I was just, uh, I can just rest. I can find my mind without falling asleep. My mind can just go into this calm, relaxed place. And that's a really important skill that people can learn, but it doesn't learn overnight. It's regularly practicing one of these mindful meditations, breath meditations, all kinds of meditations. But if you're regular with it, then when you're in a relationship and it's inevitable that when you get in a relationship with a woman, she pushes buttons because see what's that upset you, you get irritated, you get annoyed, you shut down. And you know, here was this guy who's got enlightened, uh, always happy and fulfilled, got in a relationship with women and suddenly they'd say something or do something and I would totally shut down. And then inside I'd feel all kinds of furious and rage or I'd go numb and I go, what is this? Well, these are all the kinds of emotions and things that were suppressed in order for me to rise above them. And now I had to go in and process them and learn to deal with them. And I think that's really important for anybody who's practiced meditation and so forth, is they learn to rise above it. And there can be other ways you learn to rise above your emotions. And that's a good skill, because that means you can always rise above them if they get control of you. But then it was time to re-enter and embrace all aspects of who I am, which is the emotional part of my being. And that's a big journey as well, but such that my emotions don't control me in any way. And if I'm upset, I can process quite efficiently and come back to a state of openness and love and focus and motivation and interest, all that good stuff. But these are all important skills that in a lifetime we want to learn. And that's life mastery. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I know from coaching guys, uh, something that they struggle with is being reactive to the situations like you're talking to. So would you recommend meditation, uh, TM? I think TM is one. I would certainly recommend that. There's a lot of others. There's people that have been spinoffs of TM that maybe don't charge as much. I do think it's good to learn from a teacher. There's just something about when you have a coach who teaches you, you've made a commitment to it and they can hold you accountable to it. Because you read in a book, you know, the things we read in a book go in one ear out the other. So it's right. good to be part of a maybe even a little support group of people that are doing it. And then you you hear other people's experiences and enriches you. So those are some various options. So I think that's a really important skill. My biggest insight that I've had as far as relationships when we're dealing with women You've got your own issues and you have to learn how to deal with your own issues. And we can talk about that today. But even bigger than that is correctly interpreting women. Because we're different, we misinterpret them all the time. And that's a big key thing. And, and since you brought up Maharishi or TM, I'm thinking back to my days when I was studying Eastern philosophy. 
And there was uh, a really key sort of underlying message in the Eastern thought, which is all suffering. And that's what we go through with women sometimes. It's an inevitable. <laughs> Ecstasy, you have suffering. <laughs> they go hand in hand. And so you have those moments of suffering. The essence, the number one cause of suffering, which was the plight of all these ancient sort of philosophies, is ignorance. Okay, that was their term, ignorance. And a great example of ignorance is it's they were using it different from the way we do. I'm basically saying not understanding the situation. And the analogy they used was people get all upset. You're in a dark room and you feel this snake and you see a, a snake on the floor. You panic and you get all upset and you got to kill the snake, hit the snake, fight the snake. And somebody says, well, let's just turn on the light. And you see there's no snake. It's a stick. And that really is a lot of the essence of my message is there's so many things about men that women get upset about. There are nothing wrong with the man. And you just have to turn on the light and realize you're reacting and making this big deal out of nothing. But, you know, I can never say to my wife, you're making a big deal out of nothing. And once again, that's a disastrous <laughs> statement to ever say to any woman that you just don't do that. Women have got a good hundreds of years of men looking at them like they're crazy because they're more emotional than we are. And that's another aspect is it's a sexist thing to say women are more emotional, except they are. <laughs> and men can be emotional, but women are more emotional. And I didn't even start teaching that idea until I had the scientific basis. 30 years ago, you could not say that. I'd be shot as a sexist. But now we've got evidence, biological evidence. And these, these, this biology is helpful. It's helpful just to make sense of the situation. So it's not a snake. It's just the stick. And when we look at the brain of a woman and a man, one of the significant differences is the limbic system is much, much bigger. And some studies have shown it's twice as big in women than in men. Now, that's the emotional part of the brain. And another study shows that women process stress differently. And when they are experiencing moderate stress, that means a, a problem, but it's not a big problem. It's not a medium problem. It's a little problem. So when women experience little problems as reported by women, okay, so she's saying it's not a big deal. She has eight times more blood flow to the emotional part of the brain than a man does. Now, this is very significant because what's happening is women get upset over little things, but they're not saying it's a big thing. Now, men have just the same potential of negative emotion as women but we tend to only get emotionally upset when the problem is big and we don't know what to do about it. That's two factors. One, the problem is big and we don't know what to do about it. If the problem is big, no big deal. If I know how to handle it, it's like, okay, I can handle this. And that's not for women. See, women haven't even considered whether they can handle it or if it's a big problem. They just have an immediate emotional reaction we then misinterpret that emotional reaction and say, you're making a big deal out of this because if we were that upset, it would be because we're saying it's a big deal and I don't know what to do about it. Right. And what's interesting there is you're, you're talking about uncertainty, right? Guys often aren't comfortable with a big problem and there's a lot of uncertainty about it. I find a lot in our coaching is that the guys, they're in that patch with women because they feel that the girl, they don't understand how she's operating and how she's working. And so they're in that area of uncertainty. And then I think the relationship starts to stress them even more and they make it into a bigger problem because they just don't understand. And it's an uncertain environment for them rather than 
say their career or other aspects of their work which are more regulated and, and stable as far as they're concerned. Is that something you've come across a lot? Oh, you hit it right on the nail. That's one of the biggest problems is suddenly a woman being upset. One of the things in Men Are From Mars is a great chapter in there called The Anatomy of an Argument. And I'll say this in front of our audiences and, and even get laughs. I'll say, now look, I've counseled thousands of people here. I've listened to men and women and their fights. I've analyzed their fights over and over again. And every time, woman starts to fight. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you would say that, you're a guy. <laughs> I, no, I can only say that because I'm this big teacher, okay? And I'm on stage. If I said that to my wife, it would be death. So on stage teaching this idea. So I'm not telling men to say this, but I want men to understand this. This is the anatomy of an argument. What happens is anything can occur. You forgot to do something. You're late. There's a traffic jam. Whatever it is, a woman gets upset. And that's the beginning of the argument. Because what we men then do is we misinterpret her upset as a big problem. And we tell her she shouldn't be upset. Now, the good intention behind that is that if I'm with a guy and he's upset about something, it's a kind thing to say to a guy is, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. We can handle it. Okay, no guy's going to get blown out of shape like that. But women do. If you tell a woman she shouldn't feel what she's feeling, she feels dismissed. She feels dissed. She feels put down. She feels patronized. She feels rejected. She feels injured by it, basically. In the same way that what I try to help women understand is that just as a woman doesn't want a man telling her how she should feel, telling her she shouldn't feel, or minimizing her problem that's telling her what she feels. That's the number one thing, biggest complaint women have, is he's making me wrong for what I feel. I turn that around for women and I explain, and for a man, the biggest issue we have is when women try to tell us what to do. So there's a doing and there's a feeling place. Whereas a man's sense of credibility and confidence primarily comes from his ability to do, to take action, look what I can do. Women don't have that same reality. They can say they do, but their big reality is how they feel. This is like their precious place where they're most vulnerable. If my wife cuts down what I do, like you can't do that, you didn't do that, you'll never do that, that's cutting right into my being is affected most by how you appreciate what I do or how you put down what I do. But for women, it's about who she is. And that's determined primarily by how she feels. And this is the, one of the huge issues is so women get upset about something, we misinterpret it as though she's making a big deal out of it when really she's not. But it will become a big deal as soon as we resist. So she's putting her emotions out there. We're going, don't need to feel that way. Not a big deal, not a problem. Why are you blaming me? We do two things. One is we, we misinterpret what she's saying as if she's making a bigger deal than nothing. That's one thing. And the second thing we do is once it gets big and there's some resistance, we take it personally as though she's rejecting us and we have to now solve this problem. And if she's blaming us, the only way to solve that problem is to explain to her she's wrong for blaming us. And all of that's called arguments. And that's the anatomy of an argument. She gets upset and we try to explain to her she shouldn't be upset and now she will resist us and it will escalate. And we as men have to have the wisdom to not fall into the trap because it's a trap.
And how do we do that? I just I gotta ask: Is there is there <laughs> well, an escape route there's, or something? There's lots of escape routes, but the most the bigger umbrella of the escape route is to understand what's going on. Now, just from hearing me say this, it's not going to stop. Uh, I knew this many years before I mastered this. Okay, so it takes practice, kind of like if you're in a karate cat class and somebody says, "Okay, he's going to punch you," you have to step to the side. Don't punch his fist, but move to the slide side and dodge dodge and you get better and better at dodging <laughs> an art to this. And, and I know the art because I went through every step of it. The first step is we get in these arguments and at a certain point when it's starting to escalate, I call timeout. Okay. And a man might say, well, she should say timeout. No, that's our job. Okay. Maybe a woman can learn to do it, but we as men have a greater capacity to stop escalation than women do. See, women, when they are upset, when they're threatened, their brain is filled with emotion. Now, once a man is filled with emotion, he has a hard time as well. But we have a lot longer time before we become filled with emotions if we have this awareness of saying, I want to take a time out. How do you take a time out? Well, I'll tell you what happens in domestic violence, for example. I've counseled these people. Typically, every time there'll be some escalating argument and a man will say something like, well, fuck this shit. I'm out of here. Because his nature is to pull out of it because he doesn't want to hurt the person he loves until he loses control. And so he's pulling out of it. She will pursue him. She will follow him. She will say things like, well, you don't care. You don't give up. You don't do this. And she'll keep asking questions and suck him back into the conversation. And if a guy is upset, this is a very important rule for guys to know. Once you're upset and you put your feelings into words, you will only become more upset. Let's say I'm upset with my wife and I'm talking to you and I'm putting my feelings into words. You're just going to nod your head and go, yeah, I get it, John. Yeah, I get it, John. And I, my upset will go down. But if I'm upset with somebody who's not going, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. If I'm getting any resistance, it magnifies and it just gets worse and worse. So guys are smart. If somebody can point out to them, hey, how many times has talking when you're upset with a woman worked? <laughs> very rarely, very rarely does it work. You know what's really interesting about this? I don't know if you've heard of this uh, along your travels, is testing. Have you heard of women testing men? This is something that comes up a lot in the pickup artist area and other areas. So they talk a lot and I find that some guys get quite obsessed with the fact that they're always being tested by women. And it, it sounds very much like what you're talking about, starting the argument, probably exactly the same thing. In fact, it's just people giving it different words. And I find that really they're just not being calm about it. And when they start perceiving that there's a problem, as you said, they kind of validate it and you create the problem rather than. So the people who start thinking about this testing or the, the starting the arguments all the time, they tend to start creating that situation by acknowledging it, by validating it rather than kind of letting it blow over them, which I think is what you're saying is like as, as a guy, if we stay cool, like we, we kind of are normally then things tend to roll past us and we don't engage them. Is that correct? Or Yeah, let me explore that a little bit more with you, Dave, but I'm right along with you. The just have a different way of looking at it. The first of all, you said something about we need to stay cool. Right. Absolutely. Right. That's masculine energy. Cool, calm, collected. That's masculine energy. That's testosterone. When you have testosterone, it's the male hormone. We make 10 times to 30 times more than women. Politicians and criminals will make 50 times more than women. 
Uh, it's just as a range, but it's always 10 times, 20 times more, 50 times more than women. So it's a huge male hormone. Now, when that hormone goes down, you become depressed, you become irritable, you become mad, you become angry, you become afraid. So this is just, we need to understand the way our bodies are working. There's a male hormone called testosterone that dominates men. And when a man is confident, taking action, motivated, considerate, romantic, always his testosterone levels are up. When a man's testosterone levels go down, what happens is testosterone, when you feel you don't know what to do about something and you feel threatened. Now, you're again, you're, you're thinking this is a bigger problem than it is and you don't know what to do about it. You don't understand women. What happens at that moment is you don't know what to do. When men don't know what to do and something important is happening, like this is the woman you love and you want her love and she's your partner and now she's bitching at you and you're going, what the fuck is this? What just happened biologically is your testosterone has been converted into estrogen. When you don't know what to do, aromatase, an enzyme gets produced that converts testosterone into estrogen and estrogen and fuels your brain with emotion. So this is a biological thing that happens in men when we don't know what to do. So what I found is for me, it rarely ever happens inside of me because I now know what to do. So the emphasis here is one is you have to recognize that this is not a big problem. Okay, whenever you know what to do, nothing's a big problem. Okay, I can handle this. So you have to have this, I know what to do kind of a thing. Now that's the first step. Second is this whole testing thing. When you're using the term testing, one of my friends, Warren Farrell, who writes great books for men as well, you might want to interview him. He's really great. Why men are the way they are and a lot of things he's written on. Warren talks about how historically women have been testy, meaning they would be criticizing, they would be upset with because they're testing what kind of man can actually be present and stay with her as opposed to she doesn't want a man. If she gets upset, he's going to get upset and leave because that's the most important thing to women is you're not gonna leave. So she's testing what kind of guy has a temperament that can put up with her. Because see, women know on some level they can't control themselves. They are the weather. The weather comes and goes and whatever. And that's why women wear so much makeup. That's why everything about women is pretend. They put on makeup to look good because inside on some level they're unstable. They are like, in my book, Men Are From Mars, I, in, in a very politically correct way, I talk about women as waves. And this is their nature. Their nature as waves is on some days they're going to rise up and be really positive and see men as lovable and attractive. And then on other levels, their waves will crash. And it's like nothing is good. And they get upset about things. And they're bothered by things. And they make a big deal out of things from our perspective. So at those times, she literally becomes blinded. Now, let me give you an example of that. There's some biology here to explain it for men. A woman's blood sugar levels are different from a man's, okay? This is all now measurable. We see it to be the case. If men have blood sugar issues, men tend to hold higher blood sugar levels, and which is not good for us, by the way. It causes uh, oxidative stress in the brain, degeneration of cells in the brain, eventually causes diabetes. So high blood sugar is not a good thing women will tend to go high and then they crash low. And so they fluctuate more than men. Men will fluctuate, but nothing like women. Women, if they're hungry, for example, that's a sign 
that their blood sugar is just dropped. They have very little warning when their blood sugar drops. And when it drops, it drops much further than for a man. So the bottom line here is that when a woman's blood sugar drops, suddenly she has no fuel to make serotonin in her brain. And what happens is she forgets all the good things in her life and blood flow shoots into the brain to the hippocampus, which is twice as big in women than men. The hippocampus is the memory and she will tend to remember every mistake he's ever made. And this is what really frustrates men in relationships is suddenly she'll say, we never do this, we never do this, you didn't do this, you have you do. How do they keep record of these things? For a man to keep record of these things, he has to be really, really upset with this lady. But women, just under moderate stress, a blood sugar level will crash. Suddenly they have no serotonin in their brain and they have this estrogen surge that causes blood flow to the emotional memory and they experience temporary amnesia. They forget any good thing he's ever done. This is biological. This is biological. Yeah, yeah this is real. They forget any good thing at that moment and they only can remember, like in Technicolor, every mistake he's ever made. It just shows up right there if her blood sugar crashes. So this is like this fluctuation that happens in women and what are they to do about it? I mean, basically what they need is somebody who will help them rebuild their serotonin levels. And the way that's done is if you can be present and a woman believes you're gonna be present, that's a big part of it. That's why therapists are, are so good for women because she anticipates you're gonna understand everything she says, you're gonna be on her side and everything's gonna be okay so that she can talk about what's bothering her. Because the most powerful serotonin producer is talking about what's bothering you. Typically, men can store twice as much serotonin as women. This was a Canadian study that showed that. Because we have more muscle mass, we can make serotonin 50 times more efficiently than women. We can also physically uh, do a little physical work use our muscles and it will produce serotonin for us because we have more muscle mass. When you use your muscles and you're a man, we have 30% more muscle mass than the average woman. When we use our muscles, the amino acids that build muscle are required for using your muscle, go into the muscles, leaving tryptophan, which is the smallest amino acid, to go right into the brain and produce serotonin. That's why we feel so good when we do some exercise is we can produce serotonin very effortlessly and through physical exercise, women can't. They have to really push hard in exercise to do that, or they can talk about what's bothering them. So a guy wonders, why is she talking about all these problems? He immediately assumes two things. One is she needs me to solve them. No, that's insulting to her sometimes, and other times it's not. Again, how do you make sense of women? We'll get there or she's talking about problems and you're involved in those problems, we hear it as blame. And so suddenly we've been kicking, we're this great guy doing all this wonderful stuff and then we're being blamed because we walked, we forgot to empty the trash. We, we, we left some sinks in the dishes and the sink. Little things women get upset about. And in our world, if you're my good friend and you've done a lot of good stuff for me and you track mud into my house, you're my good friend. I'm not gonna say anything about it. It's no big deal. If the president I voted for comes into my house, he can leave his plates anywhere he wants because I appreciate him so much, I overlook little things. Women don't think that way. They don't have the ability to think that way, particularly when they're really connected to somebody. 
is everything is like on an equal plane. And so when she's complaining about you did this, or you did this, or you did this, we're thinking she doesn't appreciate all the big things we do. But in her mind, she does appreciate the big things, but the little things are also important to talk about because they cause her stress. And anything that causes her stress, she tends to have a greater need to talk about. It used to be, historically, men and women did not talk, okay? Women, if you go to Africa right now, you'll see at every little village, there's two fires. The women are around one, the men are around the other. If you go down the Amazon, you'll see they don't have the fires, but they have a big building in the little tribal place, and the men are all in one spot, and women are all in the other. And they don't connect. Women bring food to the guys and alcoholic drinks and whatever, and that's about it. There's no connection. Why? We didn't understand each other because we talk about things for different reasons. For a man, when he's under stress, if you look at the biology of what happens, two options happen. He can now have his testosterone go up, which makes him feel good, and his stress level goes down. And how does his testosterone go up? He mulls over the problem looking for a solution. When men look for solutions to take action, when they're feeling like, okay, I'm going to find a solution here, he's mulling it over. His brain is sort of, da, 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 da. and it, it, you don't have to have thoughts to be mulling something over. You're kind of in a just a, um, hmm, let me think about this. Uh, little random thoughts pop around, whatever. That's actually a very important process of raising the testosterone and the estrogen going down. Now, if he talks to the woman at that time, that doesn't happen. But usually when a guy is stressed, the first thing women are wanting is, what are you thinking? What's going on? What are you feeling? Why are you reacting this way? And we get suckered into answering those questions and interfere with our process, and it only makes it worse. You see, what she's sensing, and this is where we have compassion for women. Women are very much dependent, more so than we are, on feeling that connection. Okay, they feel the connection much more than we feel it. Just like when we're having sex, we feel the connection a lot more. We come alive. Well, women become alive, not necessarily in sex, although they love sex and all that, but through the connection they're feeling with a guy. So we have to be feeling, and then she feels connected to us. But when stress comes along, we disconnect from feeling. We mull it over. We disconnect. And to her, we don't notice any difference, okay? It's no difference. But to her, Suddenly you've just pulled away and she go, where'd you go? What's going on? What are you thinking? Why are you interacting? What's the matter? Is something wrong? And we're saying, no, nothing's wrong. She's, yes, it, yes, there is. What are you thinking? What's the problem? What happened? They're trying to get in there and feel our connection. And what I teach women and men, you can teach women, not as well from a book, somebody else teaching for sure, but you can explain things. You can say, you know, I just need to think about what you just said. I really want to understand it. It's a different point of view, and I want to take it in before I talk about it. So we have to give her some give her some insight as to what's going on. I've gotten to the stage in my marriage, and I can teach this, and, and maybe you can too. It just takes it to your girlfriend or your wife or whatever, is there are times when women will be talking and we start shutting down. Okay. We start, we gotta start getting defensive. We start getting tense. We start getting upset. That's when we have to notice don't speak, but they want you to speak and they'll keep going. What happens to women is when she's talking to you and you naturally start to disconnect, then she doesn't feel heard. Then she has to repeat what she's just said. 
and they can get into a loop and talk for the longest period of time. It's like if a woman is talking to you and you're going, okay, I'm just going to pretend to listen and, and think about something else, they'll never stop because they're looking for feeling a connection. It's all felt. So what I say to my wife, and this is sort of after years of figuring this stuff out, and maybe I'll do a few of the stages. One is we used to have these arguments and my wife would say, you don't understand. Can you relate to that? Women saying you don't understand? Of course, every guy can. Yeah, it's the woman's basic reaction. You don't understand, you don't understand. And I used to say, yes, I do. It's very clear to me. <laughs> what do you think, I'm stupid? I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> and we'd have these big arguments. I solved that one. One day I said, I'm just going to respond to this differently. And she said, you just don't understand. I said, you're right. <laughs> I don't understand. There was silence. Okay. <laughs> it was like there was no longer any argument. It's not the ultimate solution. But whatever, it's a very important point. Whenever a woman says you don't understand, you basically go, you pause and you ponder it for a moment and you go, you're right. I don't. Now, most men are terrified, at least unconsciously or consciously, of saying, I don't understand. Because imagine you're a surgeon and you have a problem and the person said, what should we do? He says, I don't know. Well, you're a loser then. You know, our whole competence is based upon having answers, being able to solve problems, knowing what's true. It's terrifying on some deep level, uh, just not comfortable, we can put it that way, to say, I don't understand, I don't know, particularly when you think you do. Because you're listening to them, they're words, you get it. But because the words are confrontive to our sense of feeling open to her, they might sound critical, they might sound like the same thing over and over, and it pushes our buttons inside. We're trying to make sense of trying to stop this conversation. How can we stop it? The way you stop it is stop talking. So then as it took period of, periods of time where you get these little tension things, I would take my time out and I go back and analyze and what happened? How did I make it worse? The big issue for us men is accountability. If you want relationships to work, never ever expect a woman to be even close to as accountable as you are. I hear this with guys all the time. I say, I'm sorry, I see my mistake. Why doesn't she? They're not capable of it. Maybe a few are, but they, after you're having sex and babies and that whole thing, they'll lose it. Guys get very upset with uh, a girl not keeping her word. That's, that comes up a lot. Whether it's like, I'll meet you next Tuesday, or I'll call you later, or whatever it was. They get, so this whole wave you're talking about, which is actually biology, like makes her want to do something different the next day sometimes. <laughs> and it's quite normal. And I know that guys get very, very frustrated with that. Well, part of the frustration we have with it is not just that that lack of accountability, it's that they expect us to be accountable. <laughs> they get upset with us for things and they want us to say we're sorry and we're supposed to look, and we're willing, you know, okay, I made a mistake. I'll try not to do it next time. And that's when the guy yells hypocrisy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's just, you're wanting something from me and you don't have to do it for yourself. Well, they want it from you because nobody else is going to do it. You're cool, calm, collected, accountable. There was that great movie with a Hollywood movie star called A Good As It Gets and Academy Award winner. I forget his name, uh, but he was in The Shining. Do you remember that uh, famous star in The Shining? Jack Nicholson, yeah. Who was it? Uh, well, I don't know if that's the actor you're talking about, but you have Jack Nicholson in Jack The Shining. Jack Nicholson, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't get the accent. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. So there's another movie he got an Academy Award for called As Good As It Gets. And Jack Nicholson, there's a scene in it. He writes romantic novels for women. 
And the woman sees him at the olive and says, how do you know women so perfectly? You know what's inside out. How do you do it? He says, well, I know men quite well. I know myself. And I just take away all reason and accountability. And that's a woman. <laughs> now, he can say that all the women laugh, but there's a truth there. Because when women get emotional, they're not reasonable. They can be reasonable. That's why it's sexist to say women aren't reasonable. It's just when you're emotional and when a man's emotional, he's not reasonable. It's just it doesn't happen as often. It just doesn't. It happens for different reasons. Right. There's some guys that alcoholics and drug addicts and whatever, you know, they're already their testosterone's down, their estrogen's up. Then they're, they're going to be more emotional, just like a woman, but more deadly. Because when men get emotional, talking about it doesn't help unless you're talking to a therapist or a coach or somebody. If women can be talking talking it out and it does help. Uh, it also doesn't help as much unless somebody's actually taking it in. But the difference between men and women is as the stress levels go up, men tend to want to take action. It bypasses the talking part of the brain to another part of the brain. And they've measured this when men are stressed, blood flow bypasses talking part of the brain to taking action. And for women, blood flow doesn't go to taking action. It goes to the emotional part of the brain, to the talking part of the brain. Her sort of dynamic of when there's danger is tell somebody and get help. For a man's dynamic when he's in danger is do something fast. And if you can't do it, then ask for help. So there's a, these are different wirings that allowed us to survive and they're in there. And by understanding them, like a woman's lack of accountability, you just learn to live with that and realize she makes up for it in her responsibility. Now, that's a subtlety most people don't look at, but there's a difference between accountability and responsibility. We put them in as one word, like you're not being responsible. Actually, when somebody doesn't admit a mistake, they're not being accountable. Responsibility is a, a desire to respond to the needs of others. Women are incredibly good at that, okay? And, and the biggest stress that women have today is they'll say, and they're right, I give and give and give. I'm over giving. I'm always giving to somebody. I can't give to myself. That's their ability to respond to the needs of others. When they're stressed, they have a difficulty in feeling their own needs. But what they do is they feel other people's needs. They give to those people. Then they feel resentful or exhausted. Then they feel their own needs and complain about it but it's harder for them to get back to in a positive state, give to themselves or busy giving to other people. So there is a sense of ability to respond to the needs of others, particularly about little things. We as men have an incredible ability to respond, but generally the problem has to be big and we're willing to give up our lives for it. So I wouldn't say men are not responsible, but what I would say is that women are way more responsive to all the little issues of life than most men. So there is kind of a balance factor is the more ability to respond to the needs of others, the less accountability they tend to have. And I've heard this over and over and over and I tell guys, so what? What I know about women is even they don't say, I made a mistake, I have a problem. If you are accountable yourself and make small changes to give them more of what they want. Only small changes is a real key thing. Otherwise you become like a woman and resent that I did all this and I'm not getting it back. You do small changes and if they're the right changes, they make a big difference and then she will give you lots of love and support. She won't say, oh my God, you're such a wonderful guy. I shouldn't have given you such a hard time. 
but they will be thinking it. And that's what we just don't know what goes on inside of women, unless you're their therapist, they, they melt inside, but they have such a bigger pressure. See, men cannot even imagine, well, I'll put it this way. Women cannot imagine the pressure we're under to be performers. Most men don't even know you're under that pressure, but when there's no money around, we're the ones that feel the worst, okay? And so we have a huge pressure to provide and to, to succeed and to uh, rise up and so forth. Women have a huge pressure, which is to be good, okay? This is their whole thing, that to be good, because if they're not good, they don't deserve to be loved. And if they don't deserve to be loved, then they will be abandoned, which is their deepest fear. This is a primal fear inside of women of being abandoned. The primal fear inside of men, abandonment goes in there, but the primal deepest fear is failure. Because if you fail, you won't be included in anything and you're a loser and no woman will want you. So success is the ultimate drive for men. And the ultimate symbol of success is a woman's appreciating a man's success. And a part of, for me, and I'll just share this with men, is that, you know, there was a part of me that just, as a younger man, never felt good enough, never felt good enough, pushing harder, but it wasn't enough, it wasn't enough. And it was with my marriage with my wife, Bonnie, who is this really typical woman who is like a wave, but she very much, she's very, very, very feminine on her female side. She's got all these female hormones and it allows her to do something which is very feminine, which is to appreciate little things equal to big things. It also causes all kinds of irrational conversations when little problems are as important as big problems, which every man has experienced with a woman where she's making this problem over here on the same level as this big problem over there. Well, that has to do with estrogen It all. You know, this is this female seeing every, everybody, every child is equal kind of a thing. It's the whole thing you have to give to all your children. You respond to their needs equally. That's universal love kind of a thing. But what happens is they need to feel that they're good. And if they don't give it on the right way, it's a real horrible feeling inside they have. So I remember this one time where I would say to my wife, I always apologize for things. I always say, I'm sorry, I'm getting sick of it because there's no balance in the relationship at all. I feel like I'm the only one who makes mistakes here. The only one has to be better here. And she said to me, she said, John, when I was growing up, my mother always made me bad. I felt I was the bad one. I was the bad one. And inside for me to even say I'm bad, I'm terrified you'll nod your head and say, yes, you are. And it would just crush me to the core of my being. And I just can't say it sometimes. I said, okay, you don't have to. Now I understand that the way she says she's sorry is by being nicer later on. And I suggest that to men, you'll see it. If a woman is bitchy and you take some time to listen to her, do something and don't get angry back, you'll see the next day she'll wanna have sex with you. She'll be kind to you. She'll say nice things about you, but she won't say, gee, I really gave you a hard time the other day. I'm so sorry. Okay. And just to watch. And so the, the wisdom there, it's just understanding their language of apology is to give more at another time, but you have to give them what they need to respond from that place. And what men don't know, and this may be the most important thing in our interview is from men are from Mars, the book, which is a chapter on little things make a big difference for women, their fulfillment and feeling love. I guess the point I wanted, I didn't just finish was I was cured of this need to feel good enough through my marriage with my wife. All my meditation and whatever, I could leave the world and be really high, but I couldn't perform in the world and feel good enough. 
I still, you know, if I'm meditating, I'm out of the world, fine, everything's perfect. Found my resting place, I can be there. However, if I'm working in the world, there's always that sense of, you know, who's got a better car? Who's making more money? Who can do this better? What did I do? If I hadn't done this, I could do this. Why don't I have this? All those issues were there. It was my wife's ability when I really got that she appreciated me just the way I am. And I didn't have to do big things to win her love, but just the little things that I would do for her caused the same response big things did. And I started getting this love without having to be Superman. And that gave huge peace to me. That's then when I became very prolific as an author because I felt I didn't have to write perfect books. Actual literary experts say, this is not literature. And I say, that's right. It's self-help. It helps people. I could care less what you think. There's a place where I don't have to be more, anything more than I am. And I come to the place of I'm the best John Gray in the world. That's it. Nobody can be John Gray better. So there's, a, there's this part in one of your books, I think it's um, the second to last one, where you say at one point that we should be focused 90% on what we're doing in life and 10% getting our love and what we need in life from our partner, from, from the girl in this case. Is, is that a snapshot of you correctly there? For a man, what I'm saying basically is a man has to have his direction first. And then who am I going to share that with? That's where our essence of our self-esteem comes from is our actions. But then we need woman, or if we're heterosexual, we need someone to love us and appreciate what we do. Young man feels happy and fulfilled by climbing the mountain. But once you climb the mountain, you can't be happy unless you share that with somebody else, because that's getting in touch with the reason I wanted to climb the mountain in the first place. The reason we want success is the mission and purpose to provide fulfillment for someone outside of ourselves that altruistic, selfless part of masculinity is the happy place. So you have to have somebody outside yourself you're doing it for. And then when you get to that place, it's like a punch in the gut or the balls when you are doing everything you can, look what I've done, and it doesn't succeed in making her happy. That's devastating. It's like, then what's it all for? That's why there's more male suicides. It's like, I did all this and it's not enough. When men come to me and they want divorce, they always say, I... The bottom line is I give and I give and nothing makes her happy. Isn't it because they're going around it the wrong way? Because they should be doing it for their own satisfaction. Like, so I want to go off and I want to climb this Mount Everest because it's just something I've always wanted to do and it'll make me happy. When I'm doing that, I'll be happy. I'm motivated. And then, then she'll be happy. Well, no, I'm all aligned with the first step. I'm looking at steps. The first step is you do something because it makes you happy. The second step is its purpose is to get this outcome that will provide fulfillment for someone outside myself that I love. Love is very important for us. It's just not the first step. We do it for Can we take steps. a, an, it's, I'm not sure the mountain's the, the best analogy. Have you got another analogy we could use? Okay. That would be helpful. Uh, I have a successful career. If I was to stop doing my career today, there's no way my, my marriage can make me happy, okay? But once I'm successful in my career, my career alone would not make me happy if I wasn't providing for my wife and my children. That's the mission and purpose. The deeper level of men is that everything about testosterone is sacrificed for a noble cause. Sacrifice doesn't have to be a bad thing. It means I'm doing this, but it's for something else. I mean, there's a lot of other things I could be doing, but I, often I'll do the hard thing, the difficult thing, but the noble cause is it serves a purpose. Now, if any man, I do this with my men, which is think back to times when you felt really, really good. It's when you overcame something difficult. When you had a challenge 
and you overcame it, then you kind of feel like that's one of those signposts that you feel proud of yourself. I did that. Now, I'm not saying be a masochist all the time. It's a life is a balance of difficult and easy, difficult and easy. But it's doing that which is difficult, but having a meaning to it, that it serves some purpose outside of our own personal fulfillment. That's where the higher level of fulfillment comes. So when you're doing this and you're experiencing the sweetness of bringing a woman to a higher level of happiness, and then she crashes down, you get, it's like a knife in your heart. Okay, then why did I do all that for? And that's where men get caught into. And so there's a little story I heard from Robert Bly that was very helpful to me on this one. I'm gonna shorten it down. He would spend uh, 45 minutes telling the story with drums beating and the whole thing. And I, it was a good experience. I wanna minimize it, but I'm gonna tell a short part of it. Basically, it's a fairy tale and there's a kingdom and a king and his princess and you can marry my daughter if you kill the dragon. There's this forest and whoever in the kingdom goes into the forest, they never come out because there's this terrible dragon, but nobody's ever seen the dragon, but nobody comes out alive. So these three sons come and we're gonna do it. And the older son goes in, he's looking for the dragon all day long, doesn't find it, he's getting tired, it's cold. He sees this little gingerbread house, it's nice and warm looking and a fire uh, glowing in the house and the smell of bread. So he goes, ah, the smell of bread. He goes into the house, he smells the bread, but there's nobody there. And so he takes a slice of the bread and eats it. He takes the loaf and he starts eating the bread. And it's like, oh, it was like heavenly. And then this beautiful woman walks into the room and she says, ah, you like my bread? He goes, yes, it's really good. You know, nothing like a woman's love after a hard day's work. <laughs> so, <laughs> and she says, oh, well, may I have some bread too? He says, sure. And he hands her the bread, but she accidentally drops it. And she says, oh, would you pick up the bread for me? He says, sure. And he picks up the bread and she, she turns into an evil witch and hits him over the head and kills him. And then... Uh, cooks him and eats him for dinner. Okay, so that's the story. The second son comes in, there's a big story. Same thing happens, basically. The younger son comes in and same thing happens. She drops the bread and she says, would you uh, pick up the bread? He says, my lady, when it comes to picking up the bread, bread is life and death and we're all responsible for our own survival. You'll have to pick it up yourself. And so she picks up the bread and she doesn't turn into the witch, but she stays the beautiful woman. Now. That story hit me so clear because what I see is my wife is this beautiful woman. But at these times, I will try to solve her problem for her. And that's when she turns into a witch and beats me over the head with a stick. And the thing is, is if we can just back off from feeling responsible for a woman's happiness. And this is hard because if I'm having sex with my wife, for example, I'm taking her to higher heights that she can't get to herself. And that's true. The male-female energy comes together. I can make her super happy, but I can't make her happy. And it's not my job to make her happy. Her job is to make herself happy. My job is to make her happier. And if she's not happy, I can create a space for her to find her own happiness. I can't make her happy. I explained to women understanding men, when a man takes you on a date, never ever criticize anything that happens. If it's a romantic date, you're putting your best, most loving self forward. If I bring my wife to a movie and it's a great movie and she goes, oh, what a great movie. I feel like I wrote that movie. I directed the movie. I'm like feeling fantastic. If she doesn't like the movie, don't give me all the details on why she didn't like the movie, unless I'm really interested. But most of the time, if I want a romantic evening, I don't want to spend a lot of time 
on what went wrong. I want her to focus on what went right. And I'm not saying you have to be this way all the time. You have to have some real conversations in a relationship, but on a romantic date, that's the time to be like you were when you went on dates, which is you overlook the problems and you focus on what's good. And that brings out the best in someone. And so I teach women, it's the, to appreciate his efforts rather than the outcome is very, very important. Meanwhile, what I focus on for men is understand when women, it's little things make the same positive impact as big things. So what's a big thing? I'm monogamous, I'm married, these are big things. I go to work, all my income I share with my wife, these are big things. I bought this house, it's a big thing. So these are big things. So a man goes, well, I've done all these big things. She should be happy with that. She, that should make her happy. Well, it doesn't make women happy. It makes them happy when they first get it, but then they're not happy. They want more. So how can I do more? I can't do more. I've got all my days working. There's no way I can get to more and more, but they want more. Now, when men go where they shouldn't, why shouldn't they? Don't I want more success? Don't I want more opportunities to give my message to the world? Don't I want more? Of course, that's the nature of life is to want more. Women will always want more in their relationship, but I'm already doing everything I can. No, I'm doing the big stuff. I'm trying my best to provide for my family. I'm a good husband. I get basically a few points for that. That's all. The idea is think of it in terms of scoring points. Every act of love, big or small, scores one point. So, and there's some rules with this. If you offer something without her asking, you get an extra point. <laughs> so, so this is like women really like it when you offer help. But what I teach women, if they're not getting it, they have to learn to let them know what's important to them. But the secret is if I give her 36 roses, in my mind, if I don't understand women, I'm thinking that's a good 36 points. No, that's one point. It's an act of love. I can bring one rose, that's one point. So you start, I go to work. No matter how successful I am, after you're paying the bills, I go to work, that's just one point. I come home, that's just one point. I'm a good husband, I'm a monogamous husband, I'm a faithful husband, that's just one point. That's three points I'm making. She's busy scoring points all day long. I worried about him, I cleaned up after him, I picked his dinner that he likes, I'm thinking of him. I wrote a note for him to sign for a friend. All these little things that women do they're busy giving themselves merit points. I'm so good, I'm so good, I'm so good. And look what he's done, three points. Now, somebody can say, oh, this is all just silliness. This is biology. Now, if I give my wife 36 roses, she's gonna have a surge of a hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin is that love hormone. It makes women feel good. It causes their stress levels to go down. It doesn't cause men's stress levels to go down. We cannot biologically relate to this at all. We can feel good when oxytocin comes up. When you have a climax, you're releasing lots of oxytocin. It's a love hormone. Love makes men feel good. It doesn't lower their stress. Testosterone lowers our stress. Feeling successful and loving is ecstasy. So for women, oxytocin, the love hormone, and we have oxytocin as men, we can feel it but it's not controlling our stress levels. It doesn't control our happiness levels. For women, it does. So if I bring her 36 roses, she's gonna get a surge of oxytocin and then it will gradually start to go down in a few days, just like the flower dies over a few days. So the oxytocin goes down. I bring her one rose and she has the same surge of oxytocin. That's biology. 
is this acts of love, acts of consideration. All those little things we do when we're dating are actually the surges of oxytocin. So the irony of this, so the Greek tragedy of this is a guy's thinking when he's dating, I'm not gonna give her the big stuff, monogamy, provide for her, at least share my income with her, come home to her. That's just three points. I'm not gonna do the big things for her. I'll just do little stuff and test to see if little stuff is enough to make her happy. Then we do all this little stuff and she's all happy. And then we go, okay, I can make this woman happy. Then we do the big stuff. We stop doing the little stuff. And then she becomes unhappy. And we think, what happened to the woman I fell in love with? It's like a tragedy. It happens every day. And so for men, and what you know in, in the whole pickup artist business and so forth, is if you can get a woman to talk, you win her over. Because when women can talk and share and you listen, you're building oxytocin points like crazy. And this is the dynamic of women today, which is one of the reasons there's so much, so many problems today, is that the number one inhibitor of oxytocin production in a woman is feeling not enough time. Now, every woman, if you counsel them, they're all going, I'm busy, I have to do this, I have no time, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. So they're not making enough oxytocin. They need serotonin to make oxytocin. They need to talk about problems that have oxytocin, but they need to have good listener is also a big producer of oxytocin. They need physical affection. They need compliments. They need eye contact. They need planned dates. They don't need a guy to say, what do you want to do tonight? That's no oxytocin. It's let's talk about what we're going to do next weekend and then find out what she wants to do, find out a few things, and then you decide so she feels not like she has to decide. When women make decisions, testosterone goes up. When women feel someone's taking care of them, oxytocin goes up. But how do you decide if you don't know what she wants? Is it a problem when testosterone goes up for a woman? Yes, it's a problem. What happens for women is that when their testosterone goes up, their estrogen levels go down. Oxytocin, even if they have it, it can't lower their stress. For oxytocin to work, they also need estrogen. So the stress, the stress thing is important in particular today. For guys, for women today, we're tending to live, I think we can all understand we're living in this higher stress society, right? And one of the big complaints in relationships is when uh, a woman loses interest in sex. And of course, like often the guy doesn't lose interest in sex and it's traditionally the woman who loses interest in sex. Is there, is there a link there between these things I'm bringing up here? Oh, absolutely. Men, at least in our younger years, until our testosterone goes down, and that's not for me and not for men who know how to build their testosterone, but typically for the younger man up to about 45, uh, he doesn't have any problem being interested in sex. After a while, he loses interest in it. Now, I'm in my 60s. I'm very interested in it. <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can keep it alive. And if you go to indigenous cultures, men up to 100 years old are making babies. Absolutely. I, most of the guys in our coaching programs tested for testosterone these days for the simple reason that they're all coming back at levels of 200, 250, 300, which are pretty low. And I know you've looked into this yourself. But, I mean, these are guys who are in their 20s as well, 20s, 30s, not necessarily very old. Based on what you were saying before about when we're feeling stressed and we have low testosterone and, and all of these things working together at the moment, how's that going to affect our relationships? Is this something you've seen in the people that you've been working with that guys overall tend to have lower testosterone and, and lower libidos these days? They're having lower libidos, but they can have a strong libido. This is a paradox and I can explain it. They have low libido once they've had sex with a woman several times. But if they go online and do pornography, 
actually they can get all turned on, but actually that then prevents them even more from being turned on to a real woman. The reason for that is there's always this balancing thing that goes on between testosterone and oxytocin. Okay, the more you know somebody and you care for them, like this is my girlfriend, this is a woman I love, this is my wife, and the more I know her, the more oxytocin I will experience when I'm around her. Oxytocin causes testosterone to go down. Okay, the more I depend on a woman for things, like I really depend on her and I'm feeling some need for her, the more I depend on her, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, it's just everything's in balance, the estrogen levels will go up and estrogen suppresses testosterone. So this whole idea that my wife complains, you don't do this for me, and then I complain back, you don't do that for me, my estrogen just hit the bell. My testosterone just went down. That's called tit for tat. That's another trap. Women complain, and then men will complain back, whereas that man would have no complaints if she was coming home saying, I love you just the way you are, and and want to have sex with him, he'd be like, hey, where'd the complaints go? They disappear once his testosterone goes up. But when a woman's testosterone goes up, she still has all these complaints. What she needs is to lower her stress levels. So the idea of oxytocin, this is the paradox. When I get close to a woman, and this is one of the concepts in Men Are From Mars and later books as well, but when you get close to a woman, you feel good. You feel like, oh, fulfilled. But your oxytocin levels are going up. Your estrogen levels are going up as you feel you're getting something from her. She makes me feel really good your testosterone level is starting to drop. At a certain point when testosterone drops, then you need to pull away to rebuild your testosterone. Independence creates testosterone. Dependence creates estrogen. So we have a tendency to get close to women and then withdraw to pull away. Now, many women will will shame men for that. It's like I come home, I say, look, I'm going to the movies with my guys. What? You want to go to the movies with the guys? We haven't had any time together. What? You don't want to be with, you want to be with them and not me? And, the, you know, the sensitive guy's going to go, okay, I'll stay home. No, is what I said to my wife. I remember the first year this happened where she started wanting to control my own independence. I said, look, I want to have a quality time with you as well, but I can't unless I go out and play basketball. I need to go out and spend some time with my guys. Then we're going to go to a movie an action movie that you don't want to see. And tomorrow I'll feel much better and I'm going to make dinner for you. Okay, you'll see. And, or I'll take you out to dinner is what I said. I'm not a good cook. So that was solved. And she did not like it. But so what? I have to take care of me. But she's inside going, well, let's see if he really is telling the truth. And next day I took her out to dinner and she was like, wow, this really works. After three or four times, she began to understand one of my basic ideas is you've got to take space from each other. And it's at those times where women start to cling, that's when men need to take space the most. Because why is she clinging? Because already your hormones are changing and you're pulling away from her. You're needing to come back to rebuild your testosterone. Right, so when your testosterone starts to fall, she starts to cling more. That's right. It's like they sense it. Because what's happening when your testosterone levels are dropping, what your body's wanting to do is rebuild testosterone. The only way you can rebuild testosterone is to disconnect from estrogen and oxytocin. So you disconnect from emotions. It happens very quickly. And also you disconnect from feeling bonded to somebody. So you pull away. If you pull away and she follows you, even psychically following you, like disapproving of you is wanting you to come back, by the way. You disapprove of somebody because you're saying you're wrong, you should change. So here you are emotionally connected to somebody. They're disapproving of you. 
you're pulling away and she's following you psychically. So you just keep wanting to get further and further away. So women have to learn, give men space. And at those times, what do they do? They should go off and do something to make themselves happy. But anyway, coming back to the dynamic of if I'm having sex with a woman, there's always going to be oxytocin produced. Much more oxytocin gets produced than if I had sex with a woman I don't know or a woman who's digital. So if you're getting off on women who are digital or in magazines, you're releasing your energy. There's no oxytocin being produced. So basically, you can easily get turned on in the presence of someone that's not lowering your testosterone. For me, I feel incredibly successful in my marriage. So I can be around my wife and my testosterone levels goes up. Uh If my wife gives me grief, which she doesn't, I'll pause her. I say, hold on for a minute. Starting to sound like I don't do anything good. I want to hear what you have to say. But before you speak more, would you tell me several things that I've done that are wonderful and great? Or tell me why you love me, whatever. She'll, She'll shift. She'll tell me. And I say, okay, now tell me more what you wanted to say. Another thing I do, which I want to toss it in here, these are like amazing things that made a huge difference. She'll be talking, and I know it's the woman's need to be heard. I don't have that need. If I have a neediness to be heard, I go to a guy, I go to a coach, or I listen to myself. I don't need her to make me feel better. That's a key thing. If men get needy with women, boy, it just pushes women away and it doesn't work at all. You're like a little boy in her eyes. So what you want to do is if she's upset or she has complaints or she wants to share her feelings, tell me more, tell me more. And I listen and I dodge. I say, now she just needs to do this for a little while and she'll feel better. Now, sometimes you get hit, you know, arrow hits you. Now you're starting to get a little defensive. As soon as I feel a little defensive, I say, okay, hold on. I need some time to think about what you're saying. I really want to understand it. And we'll talk again and walk away. Great. So this is basically a cue for you. When you feel a little bit defensive, you're like, my testosterone is dropping. I need to get out of here (laughs) and get some space. Go hang out with my bros. My girly hormones are going up. Right. That's right. I'm like, oh, no, my girly hormones are going going up. I don't want that to happen. Then you're going to be both back and forth. So you take the time and you would ask in the beginning what we can do at those times, because I remember as a young man, I'd be defiantly walking out of the house and I go, what do I do now? I'd see, I, I saw my father walking out of the house, but I don't know what he did. He probably didn't know what he did either. What do you do at those times? Okay, I pulled away. Now, how do I rebuild my testosterone? And again, the key is, is you're all emotionally upset. Now, whenever you're emotionally upset, you're blaming. All mo- negative emotions are blaming. And that's the opposite of being accountable and being testosterone. Estrogen is blame testosterone is, okay, I can handle this. What did I, how can I, how did I create this? How can I make it different? So there's a self-analysis of going back to what upset you and realizing, why, how am I looking at this the wrong way? Or how did I set her off? Or how am I contributing to this problem? And your mind will go into, but she said this, she said this, she said this. And you go, you listen to yourself. You listen to what's inside. Okay, which is, yeah, she's this, she's this, she's this. And what I notice for most men, myself as well, the first and easiest thoughts to look at are my blame thoughts. I don't speak them out loud because that's just going to make me more upset. And now I'm a girly. Right. Okay. I'm coming back to, I'm listening don't, to the Don't girly. validate your girly side. Well, don't, <laughs> don't act on the girly side, okay. but listen to the girly side. Okay. I know your girly side. Now I can listen to those reactions inside myself. 
and not act on them. That's the most important thing. The way you disconnect from this emotional part of the brain that controls you, you don't want to disconnect from your emotions. You just don't want them to control you. You want to be like a, a shepherd to them, a parent to them, a loving partner to them, a, a spiritual witness to them, to embrace them. Any of those things are true. And what you're doing is you're gaining control from this part of the brain to control this part of the brain. When you're emotionally upset and you talk, if you're a guy to somebody to change them, to argue, to win your point, if you're trying to change somebody, then the person who's in control is the middle brain, which is basically the monkey brain. And you've disconnected from the human brain, which is capable of feeling empathy and compassion for another person's perspective. That's what we want to get to is feeling empathy and compassion. Not only does our stress drop, but if you feel empathy and compassion for a woman, immediately, no matter what you say, her stress level will go down. It's telepathic. You know, you can walk into a room and feel when somebody's there for you or against you. You can feel it. Women can feel it 10 times more than men. And when there actually is empathy, you cannot experience empathy once your button gets pushed. You know, when you get a little defensive, the girly emotions are coming up inside of you. Blood flow has stopped to the prefrontal cortex of the brain. That's also proven. When men are in dangerous situations and fear arises, blood flow stops to the front part of the brain. That's measurable and goes to the back part of the brain, fight or flight. You cannot feel empathy at a time when you have to kill. And that's fight or flight. And men are wired up much, much more so than women because we were the warriors. You can't go kill somebody who's attacking your family if you're feeling, hey, you're, you're kind of like a nice guy. I bet we could work this out. <laughs> and he kills you because you hesitate. So we have that, that nature. Nothing wrong with that. We sublimate it. We bring it to let the front part of the brain control it. And I explain this because a lot of guys are always talking a big issue is monogamy. Guys are designed to make babies every day. We got so much sperm, we can make 10 babies a day. I like something I'm coming across a lot at the moment actually is, and I noticed it in your book, is that guys don't want to get into long-term commitment Yeah. as much as, as they used to. How do you explain that dynamic that's going on right now? Well, first of all, well, the actual reason for it is the whole book I wrote on hyper, staying focused in a hyper world, which is this overstimulation it's a form of ADHD, basically. As kids, you see kids are hyperactive or hypersensitive, hyperdistracted or hypercompulsive. Instead of normal, active, hyper. Everything, our society has become hyper because we're being digitally overstimulated by all of our access to computers. I'm not saying not to, I'm just become aware of it and take time to unplug. We're also being hyperstimulated by a high carbohydrate diet. The sugar is overstimulated, alcohol, Drugs can hyperstimulate the brain to a euphoric state. But then what happens whenever your brain is overstimulated, you lose neurons. And now you depend upon hyperstimulation. So our fast paced life, our big screen TVs, you know, I'm just watching Game of Thrones. I mean, I'd love to watch the whole thing in one day, you know, but that would be so much hyperstimulation. I'd have withdrawals from it. Just, Absolutely. Just one, and then, just one hour I get withdrawals from it. <laughs> you see a lot of people die quickly as well. <laughs> Life and death. These are high dopamine stimulators. We have so much technology that's like drugs. And internet porn is, like, is literally the same part of the brain is stimulated as heroin. Okay, this is a major addiction that people are having to get turned on. And the more you depend on hyperstimulation, your brain balances back and you lose neurons so now you're dependent upon that hyperstimulation and normal stimulation 
is never enough. So if you take away that hyperstimulation, you go through withdrawal feelings. So hyperstimulation creates a, a demand for super romantic, intense feelings in the beginning of a relationship. Yeah. And what produces those intense feelings at the beginning is the newness. When you have newness, that's a stimulator of dopamine, along with plenty of serotonin. Serotonin diminishes as you have history with somebody, meaning this argument, this fight, this appointment. Your brain now doesn't can't just uh, project perfection onto a blank screen. So your brain chemicals, after one or two years in a relationship, are no longer free. And now your body is saying, I need that hyperstimulation again. So we become addicted to the high stimulation and that prevents us from sustaining normal fulfilling stimulation in a relationship. Normal sex, for example. What's found in the porn sites is they say people go from kind of just regular looking at naked women to then this and it gets worse and worse and worse. It's more extreme. You need more stimulation uh, to keep interested. So that's also where it fits in long-term relationships because I need a new girl because I need to meet a new girl. I'm kind of bored with what I have because I need this hypertense, intense stimulation rather than just normal level. Normal level is, is now zero stimulation. Normal level should be rather right. intense. It's, but it's boring, uninteresting because there's no dopamine that's in, right. involved. Right. That's right. exactly right. No, I know you've got a ton of material in there and I'm, I'm conscious of time also, but I did want to bring up this ADHD issue because I've noticed in a fair amount of our students that I think they're having some troubles in learning and um, getting this part of their life solved. And I think it's a bit more, it's something that, let me say, you can't fix it with the psychological tricks that we've learned, which is things like meditation, it's, it's learning mindsets, you know, it's all this stuff that came from psychology and self-help. I feel that it's not enough for some people, not all people. And something I read in your book was uh, you said, almost every client I've helped over 40 years of relationship counseling has had to some degree an undiagnosed adult variation of ADHD. Could you explain what does that mean? Does, it, what, does that mean things for relationships? Does that mean, what does it mean for someone in this area of their life, dating, sex, and relationships? And could you talk a little bit about that conclusion? Yeah, yeah. The key thing is when I talk about undiagnosed ADHD, I'm expanding the definition of it. It's not for a child. We just have child definitions. It changes as your brain grows and whatever. But basically, it's a dependence on higher stimulation. And it changes for some people need perfection. That's the hyper compulsive person. Oh, this person's not perfect enough for me. I have to have perfection. All right. And, we're, and so that would be one where you have to have a certain body type. And you're just like, well, this is not the perfect body. And or I have to be perfect or my partner has to be perfect. They have to make a certain amount of money. This is this hyper perfectionism can be one thing that causes disappointment, lack of interest. Hyperactive basically as an adult means that you need you need to feel more dopamine stimulation from your partner. And now you're feeling bored. So the hyperactive child is really a child who feels bored easily. So as an adult, you start feeling bored in the relationship. You're not getting the nurturing you need. The hypersensitive type is getting their feelings hurt. They feel like a victim in the relationship. They're always thinking, I'm giving more than the other person. This person becomes hyper feeling. I'm giving more. I'm not getting back what I'm putting. And they feel like a victim. And so then they lose interest in their partner. And then there's the, the one that uh, hyper distracted is what that becomes is failure to launch is you're, you, you have a lot of good ideas, but you never put them into action. And you tend to have to wait to the last minute to get things into action. And this is where coaching really helps to have a, an accountability partner, someone that you have to talk to, because then you have to say, <laughs> I'm going to do it and I didn't do it. And so many people have this issue today. 
And, and this is this overstimulation of the brain. And if I'd known that what I know now, so many of my other cases would have been even more effective. Now, everybody who comes to me always takes some nutritional supplementation. Because as we just talked about, I see that psychological tools can be helpful, but you have to look at the biology of this. There's physiological changes that are occurring in our brain that keep us from feeling passion, lasting interest in our relationships. You're talking about brain chemistry here and basically imbalances, you know, which are, are pushing us to hypersensitivity and so on rather than the middle. And rather than looking at it as ADHD, which we have in the press, and it's called a diagnosis and it's medical, we're talking something a lot, a lot more broader here, which is basically just unoptimized, just these imbalances, which are stopping us lead the ideal kind of life that we want to, getting in the way with the, the different directions that, that you just pointed out. Yeah, when I may gave the broad definition of everybody had some version of ADHD, I should have probably said it a little differently, which is they have imbalance of dopamine function in their brain. Right. And 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 the book two in the series, which I haven't finished, I'm saying that that diagnosis ADHD really could be just said to be high dopamine function in the brain, which means that you're depending on greater stimulation in order to feel alive. And this is something we're all suffering from as a society is we're kind of addicted to the fast pace, we're addicted to the stimulation, we're addicted to the sugar and the treats and so forth. And we need to be able to experience a greater sense of inner fulfillment without being so dependent on this outer stimulation. And just meditation and just psychological tools, which are useful and good, is not enough because there's biological changes that have occurred. Cleansing is a really key thing for men to fast, basically one or two days on a regular basis, just take lemon water. There's all kinds of fasts. I write about them. Other people write about them. One of the most important things to get your testosterone up is to kick the estrogen out. There's also different supplements that, that can be available that help to push the estrogen out. Cruciferous vegetables do that. There's a Tonkat Ali and a few other herbs that help to boost the testosterone. These are all practical things that can help the whole situation. For the brain focus to restore brain function, we need to improve glutathione production in the body, hot baths, steam rooms. These are traditional things that men have done a lot, which is can make a big difference. Uh, 40 minutes in a, a you know 103 degree temperature bath will help to increase glutathione in the body. So there's a lot of things we can do to improve our brain chemistry and get back to a, to a, a state that we want to be. So I guess I just wanted to make sure we got the, the main points out. That Let me throw another one out there. Celib not celibacy, but not ejaculating more than once a week. Ah, okay. okay. Now there's research now showing that if, if you have sex and ejaculate, or you masturbate and ejaculate, whichever, but the research is on having sex and ejaculate, what will happen is your testosterone levels will tend to go down a bit. And then over the next six days, they will start to rise. On the seventh day, they double. The seventh day, wow. On the seventh day, they double. And then you start again the cycle. Now what happens, imagine how much better sex is gonna be if it just doubled. And what happens is then you, and the way to restore passion or whatever, is don't release your ejaculate, let it build for six days, and then on the seventh day, it doubles. That's the day you have sex, and you find that sex is quite ecstatic and quite wonderful, twice as good as what it would have been if you were having several times sex during the week. It will also be twice as good for her because your hormones are up. Her hormones are completely dependent on his hormones to stimulate her hormones. 
So it's just like, you know, life is moderation. There's a lot of other things in life other than sex. You know, you can take that creative energy and put it into other things. Physical use of the body, physical exercise, even if it's a little bit. Here's the secret with, with physical exercise. Just take a minute to explain. The Japanese have proven this to be the most effective exercise possible and the easiest. Go for a three-minute walk and then run for 10 seconds and then stop, sit down, or, or just walk very slowly and let yourself be out of breath. <sighs> Don't take a deep breath because that will normalize your breathing. You want yourself to be out of breath for two to three, even four minutes once you get good at relaxing your brain. You'll be out of breath for four minutes. Animals will be out of breath for four minutes. If you push yourself for 10 seconds, you're communicating your body that I'm out of breath, so I need better blood flow. I need more mitochondria. You're actually communicating to your body to give me more muscle mass. And then you relax for four minutes, two to three to four minutes, then walk a couple of minutes, then charge as fast as you can for 10 seconds. It could be on a bicycle, it could be on anything. You're just pushing for 10 seconds to get out of breath and then allow yourself to be out of breath. So I'm completely in shape. If I wanna jog to town and back, I can, I don't. All I do is walk my dog every day for about 20 minutes. And during that time, I just do the 10 second thing. We jog as fast as I can. And then I just sort of slowly walk while she's smelling around and peeing and do my out of breath thing. You can't talk while you're out of breath. So you, this is sort of more of a solo thing you do. And you let yourself be out of breath. That stimulates your parasympathetic nervous system to regenerate your body and create more mitochondria, which produce more energy in your body and stop the aging process. Give you more vitality. Anything that builds muscle mass will increase your testosterone. All that, do that little exercise. So those are two really good tips. The third one on what to do when you're shut down. You back away. You don't talk. That's the most important thing. You get out of the space of the woman completely. You go in your car, you go on a walk, you go somewhere else, and you interact with other people that don't see you in a disapproving way. That's it. You know, go to the grocery store, go help somebody, go talk to a friend. You can talk to a friend about what just happened, say whatever you want to say, but always try to come back to looking at how I created the problem as well. Because if once men go into victim, estrogen levels are sky high, testosterone crashes, it just doesn't work. And for me, I also like to go watch movies. Uh, you know, I just get a, I'll go to the movies and watch some action, ridiculous car movie or, or, or Fantastic Four movie or whatever, just because the man will project into the movie screen and now I'm saving the world again. That will give a good boost to my testosterone. But then I go back and I think about, okay, how did I contribute to making that conversation worse? I don't go back and talk right away. Then I come back and start doing little things that I know make her happy, like giving her hugs, being affectionate, giving her a little kiss, not even talking about what we talked about before, because that will then raise her oxytocin. And when women's oxytocin goes up, most of their problems leave their consciousness and they start seeing the good of who we are and it's no big deal to them again. They're just talking to raise their oxytocin and they don't know any other way to do it. And that is the most powerful way for them to do it. Thank you so much for you know all of your comments. It's like a huge, massive stream uh, for guys to digest here. So we can certainly see the 35 years coming at us. Um, so thank you so much for your time. I just got a few lightning round uh, questions we always round off with. Okay. Uh, well, what are the best ways for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? Well, thank you. MarsVenus.com. And for guys under 35, my daughter's columns are even more relevant than mine. And 
Uh, she even got a section in there called Winning Moves, which is with her boyfriend, the things he does that wins her over. And they're not a big deal. So that's oh, wow. It's so she's got thing. a boyfriend there as well. How long yeah. have they been together? About five years they've been living together. You know, oh, great. She, she wants to be financially independent before they get married, which is a lot of women want that these days. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's great to hear. Again, you're working with your um, daughter. It's, it's pretty uh, cool. It doesn't happen in a lot of families. Who besides yourself would you recommend for high quality advice in this area? Who have you come across that you've kind of learned from? You've already mentioned a couple of people um, today. Uh, you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Our conversations before this. I think you're brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mentioned Warren Farrell. We go on a walk every week. We're writing a book together. Uh, Arjuna Arjua. I'm also writing a book with him called Conscious Men. Maybe we can do another interview on that book. I, and he travels around Europe quite a bit. I'll be doing a European tour on the book, but that's going to be Conscious Men. So Arjuna Ardra, Warren Farrell, these are uh, good guys that I work with. Great, great. Thanks for that. And uh, what would be your top three recommendations? And it could be stuff you've already brought up, but like, what would be your top three takeaways from today for, for guys who are feeling like they're starting from zero and they want to improve this area of their life, dating, sex and relationships? What would be the top three things? Get into shape with your testosterone. Lower your estrogen was a big thing we talked about. The easiest way to do that is build your discipline by going a day without eating, having water and lemon Oh, if you can get some good mineral supplements, I talk about them on my website. It makes fasting very easy. But there's a place where a man's power is what attracts women. And power is coming from a place of, I did something difficult. It's, it's not you don't make it up. You actually have to do something where your willpower is being required. And when you have willpower being used, you actually emit this pheromones of confidence and strength and testosterone. That's testosterone comes to applying willpower through difficult situations, like lifting a heavy weight. You're doing something difficult, but you build your testosterone that way. Fasting is one of the most powerful things a man can do, particularly in today's climate, because it gets rid of that estrogen. Then go for a two-day fast, and you're doing lemon water and whatever. Uh, I did a 30-day fast yeah, last year. You did? Wow, that's, that's impressive. I just A couple of weeks ago, I just did a five-day fast. Wow, that's and... a big one. It's a big one, yeah. But it's surprisingly easier than you think, right? Oh, Once you get over the three-day hump, it's quite easy, as long as you don't have your wife putting food in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> right, as long as no of, one's looking. Yeah, you stay yeah. out of that. You have to stay busy or whatever and have a... So was it just out of interest, is a 30-day a lot harder than a five-day, or is it kind of more of the same? No, no. Once you're through the third third day, you're it has such a good feeling you have through the whole thing. But I didn't do lemon water the whole time. That was a soup fast. Okay. So, well, something that you get older, you got to regenerate. You need stem cells to stay vibrant. And uh, if you do something called bone soup, you cook the soup, the bones of cattle overnight for 24 hours, you pull out the stem cells. It's just really powerful. So I do a, either a one week or usually I just do a one week bone soup fast as well. And I do regular lemon water fast on a regular basis. You just got to do something. Every man has to do something difficult and feel good about it. I just did that. But fasting is doing something which get, kicks out this estrogen and all the pesticides, the glyphosates, the GMOs, the antibiotics, all these influences are coming into our body. The body thinks they're estrogen. And so that's why you get such low testosterone levels in men is this whole a toxic environment is registered in the body as estrogen and lowers testosterone in males. So that would be the, the main thing is find difficult things. One, and the balance that by don't be a workaholic, take time, work hard, but then reward yourself doing things you want to do. Then do things in with a woman. But you have to do things that make you happy that don't involve sex. 
but involve entertainment, exercise, a competition, whatever. You got to balance hard work with lots of play, and then you come back into the world of sex. If you depend on sex, you become depleted. If you depend on play, you don't rebuild your testosterone. If you work hard and you don't rest, you become depleted of testosterone. It's all three together is the real secret. Here's one other insight, which is when you work hard, then you're tired. That's how you rebuild testosterone. Only by getting tired can you rebuild your testosterone levels. But during that time, you have to feel successful. I worked hard. You have to feel proud of yourself. Then you have that brain chemical that stimulates your body to make more testosterone. So when I wrote about men go to their cave after a day's work, they withdraw to themselves, read the newspaper, watch the news, watch Game of Thrones, whatever it might be, anything they want to enjoy doing for a little while, they're rebuilding testosterone. And that's been proven. Watching a sporting event, whatever, is rebuilding your testosterone if you worked hard the day before or during the week. Otherwise, it doesn't, and you just deplete more. Same as going to the gym. Go build your muscle, work out, and then recover for a few days. You need both to build the muscle. Right, and that even that little thing about going 10 seconds and then four minutes to recover, it, that's what rebuilds the body is the recovery time. So we need the balance of all these things in our life. All right, well, thank you so much for your time, John. It's been great talking to you. Real pleasure. So marsvenus.com, they can get more of this information and check out my daughter's blogs. They're better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait. Do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at datingskillsreview.com. How we help men like you take control of their dating lives.